The rest of you can turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. We're, again, moving into the practical side of Ephesians, and um, we're going to look at that movement today. Um, and as we do that, just... Uh, you ever have places where questions are... Um, not well received, shall we say, right? Like the, the idea that if you're going to ask some questions, some tough questions or whatever, um, you, you realize maybe this isn't the time or maybe this is definitely not the place to ask some questions. Uh, it seems like in corporate America, you talk to different employees and sometimes it's like, nope, nope, they don't want any questions. They're just telling you what they want to have happens, right? Or sometimes it's in the home, right? Like the children feel like, nope, Mom and dad, they're not interested in any questions right now. They just want us to do what we're supposed to do. And, and at the same time, when you have those questions, they tend to be like kind of burning in your soul, so to speak, right? You know, like, like you can't get past something until you get this answered because the question is there. You're like, what's going on? Why? Or why now? Or whatever, Right? And in Ephesians chapter 4, I hope as you've gotten to this point in Ephesians chapter 4, you still have some questions, because I do, or I, I in some ways I did. I, I'm just looking at, like, okay, yeah, how are we supposed to understand the breadth and length and width and height of Christ's love for us? Like, like really, like, Paul, you're praying that we do, but, like, you want us to, right? So how do we get there? And... And then he talks about, you know, th that we do everything with, with humility and gentleness and patience, uh, you know, that that's the ideal. And you're like, okay, Paul, but that's, that's not where I'm at all the time, right? I can be humble some of the time, but not, definitely not all the time. And, and it's hard to be patient, definitely. So, like, how, how, are, how am I supposed to get there? And you also just get the idea, we just read it, even Jed talked about it this morning, the oneness that we have, that there's one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, that this, in a sense, it, it turns into this ocean of infinity, of, of oneness, like once you're in it, it's, it's infinite, like it's, it's all around you. And at the same time, you're like, but how do I... Really, on a day-to-day -day experience, how do I say, this is, this is God at work. This is what God is doing. How do I know what God wants me to do on a day-to-day -day basis? I'm, I'm swimming in this ocean, but where are the landmarks? How do I get there? Those are all great questions, if you have those questions, because I have those questions too, right? And... And I think for most of us as Christians, if we, if we trust in Christ, we believe that God loves us, we're still asking the question, okay, how do I know? And what am I supposed to do? And as we come to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 7, Paul creates this elaborate bridge, is the best illustration I can think of, Okay. He's going to bridge between the infinite and the finite. He's going to bridge between the 
this is who you are in Christ, and this is how it actually plays out. And to get there, he, he doesn't just transition and be like, oh, don't worry about the details, you know. It's just a big black box and it just happens. Don't worry about it. He, he actually dives into that black box, so to speak, and helps you to see some of the details of it. And it's, it's, it's a bridge, which means, therefore, it's somewhat complicated, right? He's supposed to take us on this crossing over. It's, it's not simple. In fact, it's, I was planning on just kind of taking the first few verses and preaching the first few verses and coming to the next few verses and doing that. And I realized, nope, this bridge is too complicated. <laughs> on Thursday, I went to Jed and Chris, and I was like, how do I do this? Like, I think I need to go. I was go, planning on going this direction. I think I need to go this direction. And they're like, yeah, I better go that direction. So I had to change my plan on Thursday. And of course, on Friday, we had a ski trip. So Asked Dave a bunch of questions on Dave Hyman, a bunch of questions on the way up, and you'll see his answers to those. So actually, he helped me out with my sermon. What can I say? But, but I want you to realize that he, he, Paul has not lost his, his understanding that he wants you to understand the breadth and length and depth and height of Christ's love. He, he has not lost that. In this, in, as he dives into the details and he, as he helps you understand what God is doing in your life, he is doing it for the reason of really helping you to see that God loves you and, and the, the dimensions of that love, the depth of that love. And so he does it, as, as I just want to read the passage, but I'm going to kind of tell you that every bridge has some key kind of anchor points, right, to anchor you along the way so you can get from point A to point B. And the anchor points in this paragraph are, are the word measure, okay? It's repeated three times in the paragraph. The first one is in the first verse. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And I'll stop right there really quick and say, a lot of times we think we see the word but and we think, oh, he's transitioning. Again, in Greek, in Greek it's not a hard but, like an, okay, I'm it's a, con contrasting the ideas here. It's actually b probably better translated or, and or so, okay? Like, so, because of the unity we have, because we have this one God that's over all and through all and in all, so Christ gives us his grace as a gift to each one of us to experience that unity, okay? Um, but the measure is, is, is the key, is the anchor point. He starts with that idea here, the measure of Christ's gift, which again brings to mind the breadth and length and depth and height, right? To measure it in a sense. It says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower regions, that is the earth. He who descended in is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building the body of, uh, building up the body of Christ. 
until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature manhood, to the, here's the second time, measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly. Actually, this is the third mention. It's actually the word measure again. And it, it literally, it's working in measure. Okay? And we'll get to the, what that means. But when each, each part is working in measure, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So you have the word measure at the beginning of the paragraph, in the middle of the paragraph, at the end of the paragraph. And so we're going to dive into the deals, details next week, but I'm just saying here's the bridge, and I want you to see the bridge and what the bridge means as he takes us from the infinite, the unity we have in Christ, to the finite. What does it mean on a day-to-day, you know, rubber meets the road, I've got to do this today. What, how does he get there, and what does it mean? So let's look first of all at, I'm going to call it the source of grace, the source of grace from verse 7, 8, and 9, and 10. He says, again, because we have this unity, we have one body, one spirit, one, one Lord, one God and Father of all, therefore grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a coast of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now, by referring to that, what's he referring to? He's referring to the victory that Christ won on the cross. In in those days, when you had a a victory, when when the general won the victory, he would bring his army back, like into Rome or whatever, and there would be this, this procession, you know, the general in front, everybody's cheering him on, then then would come his army, and after that would come the, the loot that he won in the victory, right? Oftentimes slaves, whatever. There's just all this, the, all this glory that he's bringing with him because of his victory. And here, he's, he's attaching the, the, what we've received, we receive out of Christ's victory over sin and death, we receive grace, we receive this glory of, 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 of his forgiveness and victory and, 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 and all that goes with it. And the, the picture here is of the cosmic victory that Christ has achieved, that he's won this over everything for everything. And, and notice how he puts that by, by referring back to this passage. He says, in saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended from the lower regions, that is the earth. That is, he's saying, first of all, Christ, when, when, he, when it says, he said that he's ascended, first of all, he had to descend, he had to come to earth, he had to become like us in order to win the victory. And then he who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. So one of the things he's pointing out is there's, it's not just that Jesus had to leave 
in order for us to kind of live on the earth and spread the gospel out until he returns. It's that there's, there's significance to his ascension. By his ascending, he actually has the ability to declare his victory over all things, over all creation, and therefore to give out gifts because he's ascended. It's, it's a de- declaration of victory in his ascension, not just, oh, we've got to get him out of the way so we can bring the Holy Spirit in and the gospel can go forth. No, it's a, it's a declaration of victory over everything. And then, again, he uses the word filling, right? We've talked about that in the past, how this filling is about creation. And it's about the new creation in Christ, that Christ has won this victory so that he can recreate all of creation under God's rule. To show off the glory and praise of a God who would deliver us from death, even though we had rebelled against him. Even though we, we had turned our backs on him. That Christ wins this victory. He ascends so that he can recreate everything under Christ's rule. And this is the source of our grace. When we talked about the grace that we have received, the forgiveness, the mercy, the love, the unity. It all comes from Christ's victory. His victory on the cross over death. His resurrection giving us the, the, the knowledge that he has conquered death and sin. This is what we have in Christ, and the grace that we receive comes from that victory. It's not just, okay, God loves you, and he has a wonderful plan for your life, and yeah, you mess up, but he'll just overlook it. No. He actually conquered sin and death, paying the price for the sins the guilt that we have and bringing us back into communion and unity with himself and the spirit and the father into a new creation in Christ and this is the source of our grace this is this is this cosmic victory that he has won and again he's He's bridging from the infinite to the finite, and so he starts with the infinite. <laughs> he starts with the cars cosmic. He starts, starts with, this, is, this involves everything. Christ won the victory, and it involves everything, a, a recreation of everything under God's rule, and yet that grace, that victory comes to each one of us. See, the infinite to the finite, to the individual. That's where he starts. And he starts there on purpose because if you don't understand grace, if you don't understand the victory and the praise that grace brings, then you don't understand grace in a sense. If you think it's just, oh, you know, I'll just, I'll just tolerate you for a while or I'll put up with you for a while. You don't understand grace. And we see that because grace doesn't just say, okay, I've rescued you. Grace has a goal, and he gets there eventually. He talks about, first of all, the, the, the vehicles of this uh, source of grace, partially because he says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. We're going to get into the details of that, but basically saying there are gifts to, there are certain gifts to you, 
as part of the body of Christ that are apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers that are gifts to the body to help the body to grow. But the goal of that growing is in verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and then of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And again, the word measure is here. He's saying we have this goal. It's, again, unity of the faith. That we, in a sense, he's saying, again, we don't create this unity. We're not like, okay, we'll get rid of this doctrine because it divides us. Or we'll, 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 take, we'll just kind of ignore this problem over here. He's saying we're unified as we draw closer to Christ, as we draw closer to who he is and what he has done for us and what he has told us to believe in. As we draw closer to that, then we're unified. And until we all attain that, well, there's, there's people at work in the body of, of, of believers to help that to happen, but that's the goal of grace. The goal is this unity, this knowledge of the Son of God. And you say, well, how do you know if you've attained it? What does it look like? And he uses two metaphors to help us understand it. He uses the word mature manhood, or the word is complete, that is, you know, we're mature. And then there's a word here that in the English, again, is confusing a little bit because it can mean a couple of different things in the Greek. It's to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The word stature here is, is a word which means come to full height or it can mean come to full age. Kind of the coming of age, right? We have this transition. Now, which one is it? Well, we, the, the text tells us which one it is, coming of age or coming to height, because in the text, what's the, what's the opposite? Verse 14, so that we may no longer be children. So the, the emphasis here is that there's a maturing, not so much to say, look, look, I've attained my height. I mean, to me, that would be saying, I've, I've figured out everything there is to know about Christ. I've, I've, I've attained the knowledge of the Son of God by just getting all of my knowledge correct. But that's not the metaphor here. It's the metaphor for becoming of age, for becoming an adult, if you will. And he uses some negative examples of what not being adult means, right? Because he says, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, which this word cunning has the idea of gambling. It's, they used it for playing cards, right? So it's, it'd be like, it's like gambling with your life, so to speak. By craftiness and deceitful schemes, which has the idea of manipulation. So you're taking too many risks, and you're easily manipulated when you're a child, is, is, the, is kind of the ideas here. And so I just want to think about this for a minute. The goal for us of grace is to be an adult. That's an interesting concept because I think in American society, we sometimes struggle with what being a, an adult is all about, you know? In fact, you know, on social media or whatever, sometimes people will throw out, or, you know, on Facebook or their Instagram page, they talk about adulting, right? You know? I... I I, I scheduled my own doctor's appointment. I'm adulting. I, I cleaned my apartment up. I'm adulting. 
right? I'm, I, I made sure that, that uh, you know, I took care of my dog and took him to the vet. I'm adulting, right? And every time I see that, I think to myself, I wonder if they really understand what adulting is, if they have to talk about adulting like that. I'm just, I'm just curious, you know, and I get it because in American society, it's confusing when you become an adult, right? Is it just you reach 18 and therefore you're an adult? You've, you've hit the age, you're an adult, that's what it is. Or, or is it like 21, now you can, you're an adult, you can, you can drink alcohol, that's when you're an adult. Or um, you know, back, in, back in the day, back we understand this in some ways in Iowa from the farming that, that took place in our culture over the years, right? A, a, an adult was uh, someone who could basically do the work of a man in a full day. So, like, if, if your dad, what, what the work you, your dad could do on the farm, but if your body had developed enough and your skills had developed enough so that you could do the same work he could do in an average day, you were an adult. Does that make sense? That, that's that transition. And so it took it from, in some ways, a, a, just a certain age, like you're 18, to, well, has your body developed? Has your mind developed enough so that you can be an adult? But in some ways, it seems like, well, is that a really good way of describing an adult? Because, okay, you can work hard, so you're an adult? I don't know, right? Part of what... Paul is definitely saying here, right, is that an adult is someone who can discern consequences. They're, they're not blown about by every wind of doctrines. A teaching comes in, like, ooh, that sounds good, I'll just go over here. And they don't consider the consequences of, of what's going on with that teaching. Or how, how is that teaching going to lead me in the right direction? Or, or sometimes it's a, it's a matter of, well, that, teach, that sounds good for me, and they don't think about the consequences for the group. An adult is someone who can, can, has enough life experience to discern consequences, to discern this action often results in this consequence, and therefore I need to avoid it or I need to do it. An adult also is someone who understands when they're being manipulated. They understand when they're, when they're hey, this, this person's just trying to use me for, for some reason here, and I don't, I don't necessarily... Uh, do I want to go along with it or not? But I can differentiate between being manipulated or not. You know, in our society, you have different ideas, but obviously part of it is just the ability to take responsibility for yourself. I was talking to Dave on the way up to the, on the ski trip, and, and uh, he's like, yeah, adult, is, it's kind of funny, because he's like, I, you know, you could say, well, yeah, you, you got married, you're an adult, but... I got married at 21 or 22. I don't remember what he said exactly. And he's like, I thought, I thought at 21, he's like, I, I've I got all this, I got all the knowledge that my parents passed on to me. I, I know everything they know at 21. And uh, not only that, but I know a little bit more because I've been to college. So he thought, I am great. I'm, I'm mature. I'm an adult at 21. And then he was like, and I was an idiot, you know, because you know, now in his 40s, Jed thinks he's 48, but he's not. Uh, um, 
in his 40s, he's like, no, there was so much I didn't know at 21, you know, so much I didn't understand. Why? Because there's this, an, a full, full, more fully understanding of how life works, of how things go, how you need, what, you, what you really need to be responsible for, what you don't need to be responsible for. That, that yes, when you say, I would take responsibility for yourself, but it's a more, a more fully orbed understanding of what that means, Right? And Paul here is saying, in a sense, he's saying, grace is taking you to being an adult in grace. That you would understand what grace is and understand how it works and the, the, how, it, how it operates. And, and you would be able to not be manipulated by false teaching. You'd not be, not be just gambling, in a sense, with your life by just, oh, I hope this works out. He's saying, I I want you to be an adult in grace. That's the goal of grace, is to to make you an adult in it, to make you mature in it, so that you can walk in it and live in it and take responsibility for yourself in it. But but beyond that, I was talking to Dave, too, about it. I was like, well, I think it also means that you're supposed to take responsibility for others. He's like, well, wait a second here, because if everyone just takes responsibility for yourself, then that's pretty good, right? It's like, yeah, like if everybody just does that, then we're, we are good. We're adults at that point. But I was still trying to tease it through because there's something that was missing in that concept. And I realized, yes, that's true. We're, we're taking responsibility for ourselves as adults. But the other thing that we're doing as adults is we're realizing that our lives are not about ourselves, that we're actually here to bless others, that we have a desire to bless and encourage others. That, that we have, as an adult, you're not just a child that says, oh, I wish I could help this person out, but I have no resources to do it. You know, children, are, they're wonderful that way. If you have a child, right, you, you rejoice when that child expresses a desire that they see someone in need, and they're like, oh, I want to help them out. Let's do something for them. But the adults are the ones who can actually pull that off, Right? They have both the desire and the power to sacrificially bless someone else. And it brought me, brought to mind as I was thinking about it, it's that it's that phrase that Jesus quoted, it's more blessed to give than to receive. It's more blessed to give than to receive. I want to put a caveat on this, because sometimes when we hear that phrase, we think, this is what Americans think anyway, sometimes is, oh yeah, it's more blessed to give than to receive. So I'm never going to receive from anyone. I'm going to make myself up. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to make myself, and I'm going to give to everyone else so that I never have to receive because it's more blessed to give than to receive. That's not Christ's intent here. We all receive grace. We all receive grace. It's just, do you realize it's, so, it's wonderful to give grace as well as to receive grace? And I was thinking about where, where is that where it says in the passage that it's more blessed to give than to receive. And I, rem- I was around, I think it's in Acts 20, and I went to Acts 20, and there it is. And it's, Paul is talking, and, he's, and he says at the end, I've got to find the passage here, it says, he says, I'm leaving you. It says, but in all things I've shown you by, that, by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And then I realized as I was reading Acts 20, I was like, oh yeah, and this is Paul 
talking to the Ephesian elders for the last time. I'm like, oh, well, then this still makes total sense, right? He's talking in Ephesians 4 to the elders in some ways and to the church saying, this is the goal of grace, that we receive maturity, that as adults we take responsibility for ourselves, but we say, look at what we've received and I want to give it out. I want to pass it on because I've received so much grace. And we delight to do so. We're not like children like, oh man, do I have to? Do I have to do dishes? Man, doing dishes is such a bummer. No, we say, I can bless my wife, I can bless my kids by doing the dishes. Do I have to clean my room? Do I have to be responsible and do my homework? Or do we say, man, it's a blessing to, to do my homework so that I can give out what I've received eventually. It's a blessing to clean my room so that people don't have to look at my mess. We think differently as adults. In fact, Paul says it in 1 Corinthians 13, and he's talking about spiritual gifts in this context as well. He says, he says this, When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, but when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. And so there's this idea that the, the goal of grace is that we become adults in grace, that we live in light of what God has done for us, and we rejoice to, to live in that light and to give it out to those around us. And that really brings us to point number three, which is the flow of grace. The flow of grace. And so he says, rather... Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now, I've always been kind of, I've always struggled with this word properly. Like, okay, Paul, tell me what proper is. You know, how do I know? How do I know when I'm doing the right thing in the body? How do I know when I'm, I'm, I'm helping others? How do I know if I'm doing the right thing or not? But if you take the, the little, again, the literally what it says here, and you put it in the context of this idea of measure, it makes much more sense. Again, I'll read it again. When each part is working in measure. And, and usually in this idea there, for it's, it's, he's saying, in the sphere of this measure is, is probably a better way of translating. It's like if you're, if you're working un, un, under the standing of what the, the measure of grace is to you. So part of what he's saying here is when you're working properly, w- when the body is working properly, it's, it's living out of grace. It's living in grace. It's not coming and saying, well, I'm... It, part of what it's saying is that we're all gifts of grace. Yes, the pastors and teachers and evangelists and uh, apostles and prophets are gifts to the church, but we're all gifts of grace to the church. And if we understand that we, are, we have grace and we get to pass it on, when you live in, in light of that and you operate in the body like, like you're, you're a gift of grace to the church, that it's, you've received grace and you're just passing on that grace, 
then that's important. Romans chapter 12, verse 3 says this. For by the grace given to me, I say everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So what, what Paul is saying in Romans 12 is, is similar to what he's saying here. When he says in measure, he's saying living out of grace. But the, I think the other thing that he's saying here with in measure is he's saying, you understand that, that you're, you're just a gift to the body. You're not the body. You know? You're not Jesus. You're not the head. That there's a limit to the grace that you have. That, that it's, it's not, like some people come in and they seem to think that, that the words they say and, and the things they do, that, like that's the final measure of grace, right? Like, like that completes the picture. Like I'll come in and I teach and, and people listen and that's all that needs to happen in the church. Like boom, grace has happened. You guys are all fine now, just go home, you know, go live your lives. No, the point is to, is to understand that we all have a small measure of grace, in a sense, that, that we are limited. It's, it's taking the unlimited grace of God and putting it in finite human beings and saying, you have grace, but it's not everything, but it is something, and that you can use it in, in a small way, in, in a reasonable way, understanding that I'm not, I'm not God's answer to the world, but I can't help, I can't say, I can do in this particular situation that the grace can flow through me in a small way. I'm a small conduit of the grace of God. But that that small conduit matters to the whole. You think about it, right? Your body is made up of cells, and all of those cells need blood. If all of the tra transportation from the heart to the body, if, if all of the transportation of that blood to the part, different parts of the body was formed like the aorta, right? Like the big, big vessel that pumps most of the blood around the body. The cell, none of the individual cells would ever get blood. It has to be divided and divided and divided down into capillaries, Right? And those small, tiny capillaries let one individual red blood cell flow through that, that, that capillary and it hits one individual cell and gives one little individual cell oxygen, takes its carbon dioxide and moves it around, right? But is that important? Absolutely, right? Because if that individual cell doesn't get oxygen, it dies, and then because that cell dies, the cell next to it dies. And because that cell dies, the cell next to it dies. And pretty soon you've got parts of your body falling off, right? And he's saying here is, is that we have received the grace of God and we let it flow through us in small ways, but in measurable ways to other people. When, when we're all doing that, the body grows so that it builds itself up in love. And so here's your bridge from the infinite to the finite. It's grace. God's grace. This victory that Christ has won over all of creation 
the purpose of creation and the, the, the fact of creation and, and the end of creation is all different because of Christ. And you, who are an individual member of that creation, God is moving toward adulthood and grace. So you realize that the, the victory Christ has won and the, the power that comes through that and you receive it and then you pass it out a little at a time, day by day. Just a little here, a little there. Why? Because that's all I can do is a little here and a little there. I can't do. And I can't do a week. Sometimes I can't even do a day. But I can do minute by minute by minute. And so we live in this grace. We walk in this grace. Paul is saying this. You want others to experience the unity that we have received in Christ? You want to experience it yourself? Then live in grace. Walk in grace. Flow with grace. You are a gift to the church. Be an adult in grace. Don't think, eh, what I do doesn't matter. It absolutely matters to the body. Don't think, ah, oh, there's nothing I can do here. I have no power. No, you have tremendous power to do small things for the benefit of the body. Don't think, hmm, Maybe some other teaching will come along that'll make it a whole easier, make it, make, it, make it so I'll figure everything out. No, just walk in grace. Live in grace. Realize what a joy it is that it is more blessed to give than to receive. And this just emphasizes what he's been saying all along in Ephesians, starting with Ephesians 1, right? To know what you've received in Christ, to know you're redeemed and chosen and adopted. You know those things. This is the grace that you have received. You are forgiven. You are cleansed. You have an inheritance. You are Christ's. And you can share it in small ways. Can I just use one example? Again, the ski trip this weekend. We took the teens up to Afton Alps. We hadn't done it in a while. You know, just to give you context, like, when I was in, in going to youth group in, in high school, we went every, up every year, and I, I thought it would continue, right? Like, oh, this is what youth groups do. They go to ski, on ski trips, and they have fun on ski trips. And uh, I was thinking to myself, how good of a skier will I be by the time I've been on so many ski trips? But then, that's not the way life works, and we didn't go on ski trips for years, you know? And uh, so, in some ways... Uh, I'm not the skier I hoped I would be, right? Um, neither are my kids, what can I say? You know, I, like, this is just part of, like, life doesn't work the way you think it's going to work. But we didn't take the, ski, the kids up just to say, hey, learn how to ski. Most of them hadn't skied very much before. What we're really saying is, we, kids, we want to take you on this trip, and in the process, in a, just a small way, we want to make you more of an adult in grace. You know, so Dave planned the ski trip and worked out where we're going to be in a hotel. It was just a small thing, but it was absolutely necessary. And Cindy went and she got food and snacks because 
they have vaccination things up there, and we didn't want to mess with it. So we got food, and Cindy took care of that. It was a small thing, but it was absolutely necessary. And, and Austin and, and David Fee came along just to provide a lot of calming the kids down and keeping them focused a little bit in the right direction. And, and, and that was absolutely necessary, true. And, and you just had all of these adults doing little things here and there. Why? To do a little thing, ultimately. Not really... Uh, how much are they going to grow in grace through one ski trip? I don't know. I don't even know if they grew any at all. I just, it's hard to know, right? But I think they did because they got a chance to love one another and they got a lot, chance to see how to operate together with one another and to encourage one another and to, to do something together to, to realize this is what God has created. He's created this group of young people that, that are here to love one another and to serve one another and to show grace to one another and to be encouraging to one another. Why? Because we are the body of Christ. We are a new creation. That God has made something new here. It's not based on family or, or skin color or background or whatever. It's based out of the grace of Christ. And it's all little things but it all 100% matters because we live in grace. We walk in grace. We flow with grace. So will you live in grace this week? Will you understand the infinite resources, this victory that Christ has received over all of creation is now coming to you in February 2021 and saying, you know what? You're on this path to experiencing this amazing grace of God. And you get it a little bit at a time every day and you can turn around and say, that's more blessed to give than to receive. How can I share it? How can I share the grace I've received? Will you do that this week? Will you share the grace you've received? Because he has more than enough grace to give us. Grace upon grace. Heavenly Father, we thank you for grace. We're thankful that we can live in grace. To know that you have won this victory over sin and death. That we are forgiven of our sins. That we know your love for us. And it comes to each one of us if we've trusted in Christ. If there is someone here who hasn't trusted in Christ, I pray that they would know the grace that comes through Christ that is promised to us freely as a gift to those who ask. And I pray that they would ask for it. But I pray for us as a body that we might flow with grace, remembering the grace that we have received, remembering that it's more blessed to give than to receive. And in small ways, or larger ones, letting that grace flow through us to other people. We ask this in your son's name.